the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in in whatever language you wish. Uh, we also are obviously recording this in English with the help of our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Taiho. Anyang Hosio. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, funny, uh, funny story, Noel. I, I think you may have heard this one. Uh, the first time I was in Germany, I was there for several weeks, and I this was pre uh, translation apps, pre cell phone, and I had practiced for some time uh, a phrase that I was very proud of. And my phrase was this: when people came up to me and inevitably spoke German, I would say, I, I would try my best to keep up. Obviously, I couldn't. And then when I got, when the water got too deep for me linguistically, I would hold up a hand and I would say, I'm sorry, my German is not good enough. Can we continue this conversation in English? Ooh, that's power. Not, but not a power move, a super move. It's just a really very utilitarian phrase because it's respecting their language and sort of putting you uh, at the disadvantage where it's like, listen, I gave it my all. Uh, you are my uh, intellectual superior, and I would really appreciate it if you would uh, talk to me like a child. So I tried this, and I, I, maybe linguistic superior, but I, you have to try. You know what least. I mean? Yeah, I'm just yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm overstating the case, <laughs> but it is it's very self-deprecating in a positive way, which I think would put them in your corner. Uh, thanks, man. One would hope, but for, uh, again, for quite some time, I would be in these conversations. I would stop and say, I'm sorry, my English or my German is not good enough. Could we continue in English? And every single time I said this, the person I was speaking to would kind of get a chill over them. 
there would there oh. would be some ice in the room, and then Interesting. they would usually say something like, "Because Germans all speak excellent English these days." They, sure, they would usually say something like, "Very well, I was asking." If you needed blah, 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 or I was asking the way to the, you know, the Aldi. And then at the very end of this trip, I'm walking into the hostel and I bump shoulders accidentally with somebody walking out. And then she says this thing and I say, I'm sorry, my German's not good enough. Can we continue in English? And then she says in a perfect California accent, by the way, she says, you're an asshole. And then the lady at the counter starts laughing and she says, do you know what you've been saying? And I said, oh, no. And here's what I've been saying. I've been saying to native German speakers, I'm sorry, your German is not good enough. Can we continue this conversation in English? And I'm saying it with the worst American accent oh, possible. Oh, my gosh. So apologies ben, to the good people of Berlin. That is perfect. <laughs> that is a perfect example uh, of to lead into what we're talking about today. But Ben, in theory, like I said, I mean, I was surprised when you said there was this icy reaction. So I was like, no, that's a pretty thoughtful, respectful little thing to say. And if you had translated it correctly, it would have been a super move. But instead, it sunk your linguistic battleship. Yes. Apo with apologies to all the good people of Berlin and the Berlin metro area, or I guess Frankfurt as well. You are Noel Brown. I am Ben Bullitt. This is Ridiculous History. True. It is that that very thing. And that just really quickly, while we're on the topic of Berlin and funny translations, when I was traveling in Berlin with my buddy Frank, Frank! friend of the show, um, he he had done his Duolingo best, you know, to, to get some phrases up for the trip. And the thing that I'll always remember is when he was trying to order some pastries at like a train station and he kind of got flummoxed and couldn't think of the word. He just said it in English, but in a really thick German accent. <laughs> and it was not like intentional. It was clearly like his brain wiring just kind of like fritzed out. And that was what he did in the panic of the moment. Because, you know, ordering in, in, in English is stressful sometimes. Uh, let alone trying to do it in, the, in a foreign language, but I will rib him about that until the day we die. What did the uh, What did the pastry seller say? How did they? I rip? don't think they even clocked it. I don't think it was an issue, <laughs> but I just it was. I just was. We were also a little punchy, you know, from time differences and things like that. Um, so it was kind of a little bit dreamlike, but that was just one of the funniest things. That's amazing. And you know, when you travel or whenever when you travel, whether across. Uh, physical distance or across a linguistic gap, these kinds of foibles and little hiccups are not uncommon. It was weird because one thing that inspired our exploration today, our good buddy Josh Clark had reached out uh, in advance of an episode they did on Esperanto, which is a constructed nifty language chock full of puns, all kinds of cool stuff. And we started thinking about how translation works. You know, are there really some things that you can say in one language, but not in another? How often do even the world's smartest, sharpest people get it wrong? This led to what Honestly, Noel might end up being a continuing series, the history oh, yeah. of famous mistranslations. I, I was thinking, I, I, I don't know if you ever heard this one, but maybe we start off with uh, one I was not familiar with. Jimmy Carter uh, one time said that he wanted to leave the U.S. forever and have sex with everyone in Poland. Well, and this is funny because Jimmy Jimmy Carter, you know, famous sweetheart. 
Uh, so, you know, I'm sure there was no harm intended. But yeah, I mean, especially when you're like a, a, a traveling dignitary, um, these kinds of things can actually have real world consequences in terms of like relationships between countries or God forbid, even, you know, escalation of conflict. Right. Mm, yeah. So let's travel back. It's December 29th, uh, 1977. Jimmy Carter is kicking off his really like his first field trip as president, and he's going on a six-country tour, and the first stop is Poland. A six-country tour. <laughs> is that, I guess it's only a whistle-stop tour if it's in America and by train, right? But but it is sort of like a, a foreign version of that, you know, where he's like kind of trying to show face, you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm the new guy, uh, j- check out my, my chops and uh, let's make friends. Yeah, he's got a lot to prove to, to the world and uh, domestically to the United States. And as we know with the history of the Carter administration, uh, he had a lot of problems proving himself uh, domestically in policy. It was a tough time. But, you know, what, when you're the U.S. president and you land in a country, it's not the way that the – Maxes and the Knolls and the Bends of the world land. You don't have to stand in line, right? You don't really have to go through customs. You you get off and you meet. Uh, you get off the plane. You meet a ton of dignitaries, and there's like a crowd of people who are either angry at you or <laughs> or really happy to see you. Either way, they want something, and so. Jimmy gets off the plane and he's got this big speech he's going to do for Polish politicians and uh, activists and protesters. He gets welcomed by the leader of Poland's Communist Party, Edward Gierek, and then 500 other people who are just hanging out. And they've been waiting all night in the bitter cold in the snow mm. just to just to see him so he has to make this just arrival to catch a glimpse right right so he has to make his arrival worth the wait yeah he does and uh, and he did do just that um, perhaps not in the way that he uh was intending or in a way that would be pleasing to the nation of poland so before we get into where this thing went horribly, horribly awry, let's uh, give a little bit of context. It was the late 70s, uh, which was an extremely sensitive period, to your point earlier, Ben, uh, for this uh, this nation, Poland. Carter and his team were there to talk business uh, in terms of like, you know, business uh, commerce between Poland and the United States. Poland wanted more export markets in the U.S. And they um, were asking for around $200 million worth of agricultural export credits. And we don't need to get too in the weeds about that. I don't think I fully understand what export credits means. Yeah, I I, I agree. We don't need to get too into the weeds because we might ourselves mistranslate what that means. But from the, the base level understanding, it means that the U.S. was being asked to Would agree. Yeah, to yeah to not have taxes. Or, oh. or higher, you know, duties and tariffs and stuff like that. I see. But it also sort of sets a, a tone where it's like, this is how, this is the kind of business we're going to be doing. And you I know? think maybe what it also do is it's like, we're going to do at least this much. So it gives That's them an what idea. I mean. yep. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of sets the tone of the business transaction, right? Yeah. And on the other side of the conversation and, you know, kind of the other side of the Iron Curtain at this point, uh, because it's Jimmy's first field trip, as the president, he again has a lot to prove. And his head foreign policy advisor at the time is a guy, uh, we all love this name, Zbigniew Brzezinski. 
Uh, nice. He, he himself. First, I was having a hard time with Zbigniew. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, yeah, well done. He's he's a, He is also of Polish origin. Also, I got to jump in here. The last name has a Z, then an E, then another Z. It's Polish, man. Polish is a famously difficult language for, like, people growing up in Poland. It's a difficult language uh, it, because his foreign policy advisor is himself of Polish origin. They have kept a close eye on the country and they're seeing the economy stalling. They're seeing growing economic instability. And the communist Polish public is increasingly asking, what if our current status quo is the wrong status quo? What if there's a better answer? So this is the perfect time for a pro-democracy force like the U.S. president to come through and, you know, lay down some charm, spit some game. Yeah, and he spits said game with the help of a State Department-provided translator by the name of Stephen Seymour, uh, which is a very vanilla-sounding name, a 31-year-old fellow. Um, and, uh, you know, not a bad dude by nature, but let's just say maybe he lacked a little bit of experience. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many 
different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. He had the bona fides, though, right? He was a polyglot. Um, Most Americans are not able to say that. You know, I, I could barely speak English, you know, I feel you, man. It's always very impressive when you go abroad and you realize how it is just standard for, for folks to know multiple languages. I feel like that is a kind of brain capacity that I no longer possess, but, um, again, he, he wasn't incompetent. Um, he was a great translator of Polish and Russian and French texts into English. And he had a real solid reputation for translating poetry. And I wanted to bring this up too earlier, Ben, because translating conversations versus translating like literature, right? Or, or poetry or text, the Bible even, you know, there's so many things in, in the kind of the umami that you give the translation in order to make the feeling of it translate to the new language. Because, you know, works of art and literature, they're meant to be felt as much as they are meant to be read and interpreted. So it's like he was maybe working with a little bit more nuance than maybe was required for for this particular gig. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right about that, that art of translation, you know, uh, and it is incredibly difficult to convey tone and context or you know, the vibe, for lack of a better word, in conversation. If you're just translating a scientific text, then the task is a little bit easier. But this dude is, it's kind of like being asked to do freestyle poetry (laughs) from one language to the next on the fly. And Polish was his fourth language. He was Russian born. So translating from English to Polish is like an extra plot twist for this guy. Got it. An extra permutation, yeah. Like just to, so. to go back to our conversation with AJ, you know, about like the the kind of levels of ciphers. You know, you start to get kind of ciphers within ciphers, and that can really uh, affect the complexity of the operation. Yeah, and as a result, in his initial speech, and again, this is in front of more than five hundred people, including the leader of the country, uh, he makes three big errors. The first one is he. He means to say, I'm very glad to be in Poland. The way Seymour translates this, it sounds like he is telling the crowd he has abandoned the U.S. forever and he's going to live in Poland from now on. That's like his opening lie. And bless his heart. We've got to use that because that's something that he would have said. Yeah. Um, can you imagine him saying all this stuff in Polish, giving it his, his, his southern best? You know what I mean? I mean, it's probably comical. Uh, if there's tape of it that exists, I, I would love to hear it because, you know, he's, he's doing it with a open heart and, and trying his best to, like, be a man of the people that he's communicating with. But I'm sure it was cringe, you know, listening to uh, Southern Bell like uh, Jimmy Carter trying to muddle his way through Polish. So what's happening is Jimmy Carter is saying his prepared English speech, and then it's kind of like when you have a uh, ASL interpreter 
who's standing. Oh, next so to he him. wasn't actually speaking Polish. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, dang it. it Sorry, my fantasy has been no, no. It's what's cool. I just my fantasy's been shattered. It's fine. <laughs> it would it would be amazing though, and it would have also been a tremendous flex were he speaking. I guess that's not really done, um, you know, in terms of like a, a foreign dignitary uh, trying to speak the language. But you do hear things like "Ich bin ein Berliner," you know. But that's just sort of like that's a big deal for that. I think they put a lot of weight into them attempting to actually speak the language, and usually those things get pull quoted quite frequently. Yeah, and the, I think one of the issues that we see even now uh, with this kind of interaction is geopolitical. Like, for instance, if there were a U.S. president that speaks fluent Russian in public conversation regarding Russia or to the Russian people, they're probably still going to speak in English. Like Vladimir Putin knows English, but it's seen as sort of a um, like rolling over and showing the belly to not speak in your own language, which I think is a little bit Cold War-ish, but, sure. yeah, but that's what he's doing. So second one, this is a weird one. Um, Carter is giving a kind of in-depth shout out to the Polish constitution from 1791. And in his speech, he says, this constitution is one of the greatest monuments to human rights in the entirety of the 1700s. But the way Seymour translates it, it comes off like a really sarcastic sounding roast, like something from the Colbert Report. Sort of like one of the three greatest monuments of human rights of the entire <laughs> 18th century. <laughs> exactly. And it's all in the it's all in the way they order it because he lists this one thing as greatest and he lists this second thing. And then he says, and, you know. Third place. Third, coming in third. <laughs> Solid third. Exactly, you know? Right. So uh, Carter, by the you way. That's your founding document. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to your bronze medal as a country. And Carter still doesn't know anything's wrong. He's probably He's probably thinking, well, maybe they just don't react the same way American crowds do. And Which they maybe don't. That's true. You know, I mean, I, I, very likely there would think about all the things that would have been in play, like the decorum or maybe there would be a little confusion, not necessarily going to erupt into outright aggression. So it would be kind of confusing being up there and then not really knowing because you're already coming into a situation where you're not familiar with all of the cultural nuances. And then you're starting to see some head scratching and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm killing it. Uh, who, who am I to say? Let's just sally forth. Maybe they just don't cheer here. Maybe that's an American thing. They're very reserved, the Polish. <laughs> right, sure. And, uh, and then... <laughs> So he doesn't know anything's going wrong. Sure, he's a very smart guy, so surely he's getting a weird vibe. And he says, I would like to learn more about the desires of the Polish people. Ooh, and, a naughty, naughty, <laughs> naughty Jimmy Cotty. <laughs> I love it. Well, what he means there is that he, and therefore America, wants to know what the public dreams about when it comes Carnally. to the future of their country. Yeah, how is it translated, Noel? Well, I don't know. No, I, I, that's, <laughs> maybe it's just the way you said it, Ben, but I, I get it. The word desire is a sticky wicket, my yes, friend, you know, because yes. it's like it could be used formally, like I desire to make a pact of peace, mm -hmm. you know, with this nation. But also, if you don't, 
continue the formality on the back end and you kind of mix it up a little bit, it can sound real horny, you know, by accident. It's, I think that's why I still don't like the, it's my pleasure at Chick-fil-A. Oh, it weirds me out. It just sounds a little horny. I don't know why. And especially when paired with the kind of puritanical roots of that company, it just sounds like repressed horny. I don't know. Also, it's how may I, I serve that. you? Is is just too much, you know what I mean? Very weird. It's, it's very like, like robot. It's yeah. like eight thirty in the morning. Also, you're fifteen, Courtney. Just give yeah, me the weird chicken yeah. biscuit. I think I basically picked up on the same nuances that the Polish were picking up because it more or less sounded like you know he they interpreted what he said as like I want to know you all sexually. Exactly. Exactly. It came intimately. <laughs> quiet storm. Yeah, you're on the money, though. It translated with, uh, you're on the money with both Chick-fil-A and this, by the way. Uh, it translated in a way that meant to the Polish people in the audience, I, specifically me, Jimmy Carter, want to have sex with all of you. All of you. All of At you. the same time, we could, we can. Take and do a numbers system. Yeah, one, you know, one by one. Everybody. Logistics just, aren't yeah. what's what's concerning me right now. I just want it. <laughs> exactly. Bad. Here's my question: Was Rosalind there? Also, I think she was. Rosalind can get in the mix. Speak Polish, you know, yeah. it's we talked on the plane. We prayed on it. She's cool. She she likes your vibe too. <laughs> We're opening up our relationship <laughs> to your entire country <laughs> because what's more American than that? You know, uh, it's bigger than all of us. Yes. Yeah, so uh, this thing was actually scandalous enough that the local newspapers decided to censor themselves. So the many reporters Whoa. were there. He didn't, and he didn't know any of this. He, he was none the wiser. He had guy. no it was, idea. It was, yeah, exactly. So they toned the statement down when they report on this. And what they say instead of, I want to have sex with you is, uh, I want to have carnal knowledge of the Polish, which is still not Somehow a, that's worse. It's Somehow not a great improvement. No, yeah. carnal knowledge is... Ugh, I, I don't know what it is about that word carnal. It just it's because it evokes also visceral. the idea of consumption of eating. I was going to say it's like I want to devour you. I want to devour your flesh. It makes right. me just think of popcorn. I mean, I think that what makes this so terrible is it's Jimmy Carter we're talking about. Exactly, too. it's just like famous this, sweetheart. Yeah, this wholesome sweetheart. Like uh, I think. Ben, you're the one who told me this line, but it's like Jimmy Carter might have not been the best president, but he might have been the best person who was president. Oh, continues. I mean, he he's not. Did did he just die? No, he, Rosalind passed away That's, last I'm year. I'm so sorry. He's he's I, I'm not. I he's so old and continues to to do amazing work, you know, with his foundations and it's just a regular. Like, I think I think he like insists on his presidential kind of uh, detail and like you know property and supplements that he get to be the bare bones minimum because yeah. he doesn't want anyone to have to pay for his life and you know, he does all this Habitat for Humanity stuff like super legitimately awesome guy continuously so you know throughout his career again maybe not the best president this diplomacy stuff is obviously really tricky but what a guy you know he will go down in history as one of the great philanthropists i think of of oh, our yeah. time well said he's also uh he's also he is in hospice as we record now and for i knew he wasn't well that's yeah, what that must have been for, what was triggering that for many he's been in hospice for while right quite some time now yeah for many years uh he for many years he would but he makes it out to events every now and again not anymore he, but he did I, yeah. mean, I mean but within the last handful of years he would show up to big big deal things but yeah I, I'm, anyway uh we interviewed him uh 
went at the Carter Center That's a, right. a few years back. At, for How Stuff Works? Mm-hmm, that, in the How Stuff yeah. Works days. And I, I, I think uh, our pal Matt Frederick has – I think it was Matt. One one of our longtime friends has a uh, has a great story about thinking, "Holy crap! I have to put a lavalier mic on Jimmy Carter." For any non audio nerds, lavalier mic is the little thing you have to clip and drop down someone's shirt. Yeah, so, it requires getting a little carnal. <laughs> so they've got some carnal knowledge of Jimmy Carter. So, uh, so this is crazy because Jimmy doesn't know. The Americans on the team don't know. And the translator. Translators on moving on to another gig, or at least he's like got his hands full just doing the day to day of translating throughout these meetings. So he's not even thinking twice about what's just transpired in the speech. Right. He doesn't know until two days later when a local journalist finally asks him what's going on. It's sort of like, have you ever had a a great day or a great meeting and then you realize that your fly has been down the whole time? It's kind of like that. Yeah, it may be even worse because this is just like the biggest whoops. It's like you thought you killed it. You thought everything was good. You did your job well. And then it turns out, wait, no, you had one job and you did it not well at all. And now you've got to deal with the backlash and you're probably going to get fired, Um, which I believe did quietly happen. Yeah, this is this is crazy. So. He uh, he's been busting his hump, like you said, Noel, our, our translator Seymour, for the preceding forty eight hours, handling all this other stuff as an interpreter, and then there's a final formal banquet, and he is removed from that banquet. It's Whoa. it's not an improvement. Escorted out, yeah. Their last minute escort, uh, or their last minute interpreter, rather, couldn't do his job because Jimmy Carter has somewhat of a strong Southern accent. Bit of a drawl, mm, if of you sm- will. <laughs> He's got a got more than a slip of molasses in there. And, uh, he really likes to roll around inside the word, just make a meal of it, you yeah, know? <laughs> right, right. Never met a phrase that didn't need some chewing. And uh, <laughs> it's the... Uh, <laughs> That's so dumb. No, keep it back. And so the this interpreter was listening to this, and the poor guy's thinking, "Is this even English?" And so he literally just sits there until the interpreter from the Polish government, presumably sighing theatrically, says, "What the president is saying is the following." <laughs> Yeah, uh, there were some words spoken. Um, I, I can't speak to the quality of them, uh, but I, I would love to hear a translation attempt. At the very least. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, this could have been a huge snafu, a big scandal, but luckily it didn't scuttle U.S.-Polish relations. When Carter returned to the U.S., they continued to work with this country until the end of communism. And you know, we can't say for sure whether he managed to bang out the entire nation of communist Poland. Uh, one at a time or in a group. We do know, like you said, that he was happily married and monogamous for the entirety of his adult life. So it seems unlikely that he did this. Just think of the logistics. It also seems unlikely that he desired to in the first place. Oh, <laughs> yes, it would have been his pleasure to <laughs> do so. <laughs> Jimmy Carter, what a guy. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back, Pepsi. Oh, Pepsi. You guys like Pepsi back when you no. were soda drinking? No, I don't like. I don't. I don't like Pepsi. I don't know. A good Pepsi pop is. I I can't even fake it. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. It's just. I mean, I like some Pepsi products, but Pepsi is is an inferior cola. I'm sorry. It has got nothing to do with my Georgia roots. You know, I have no skin in the game politically or in terms of loyal brand loyalty. Coca Cola Classic is just the superior cola. Pepsi tastes weird. I don't. I don't. I'm not. It's got a weird mouthfeel. I don't it. like it. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's weird. It stays with you a little more in the mouth. It insists upon itself. It insists yeah. upon say, itself. Man. And it's, it, I, I almost feel like it's more sugary. Syrupy. Yes, it's denser or something. It's weird. You guys know Frenette? Yeah, I hate it. Gross, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like that. It's like Fernet, I feel like. Yeah, it's like a it punishment is. drink. It like coats the inside of your mouth yeah. or whatever. It's it I, just yeah. lives there. It's it's now a roommate in your mouth. Brought to you by Pepsi. That's not good. <laughs> so uh, uh yeah. No, but that, uh, hey, hey, again, if Pepsi, you know, the, the Pepsi brass is listening, plenty of great Pepsi products. Sure. That I prefer of to uh to Coke products. Right. It's like how you don't you can love a band and not need to love every album, right? So Please, please give us money, Pepsi. I'm sorry, yeah. I insulted you. We'll, we'll take all of the money. We will, we will drink Pepsi on the air. 
<laughs> so uh, do, before, do you know? I think we may have talked about this before, but there's this uh, kind of uh, there's a genre of music called plunder phonics, where it's like a lot of kind of satirical use of samples and you know news clips and this audio collage. Stuff, but there's this group called Negative Land. I think we've talked about. Oh yeah, yeah and they yeah. made a record uh, called Dis Pepsi that entirely uses like clips from Pepsi commercials and all kinds of weird stuff. And it's like it is a, a romp. I highly recommend you checking it out. It'll make you either. Crave Pepsi or never want to drink a Pepsi ever again? It's great for that to be in the conversation here because we're talking a lot about Pepsi's ad campaigns, and they've had a struggle with that. You know, we are longtime residents of the Atlanta metro area, so we're clearly from the Coca-Cola empire. But it's important to establish that personal taste aside, we bear no ill will toward the land of Pepsi. It is true, however, that Pepsi ran into some famous weird translation issues when they sought to expand internationally. Like, I, I didn't know this, but for for many decades, like dating back to the late 1930s, Pepsi was considered the lower end, or as you said, like the inferior soda. It's And it's because they tried to advertise themselves as a money saver. Their official slogan from 39 to 1950 was twice as much for a nickel. Mm. Yeah, okay. So it's like, are we as good? Well, you get twice as much. Yeah. What's that? Checkers, you got to eat. You know, I mean, 100%. Snopes uh, says that the specific slogan was uh, Pepsi Cola hits the spot. 12 full ounces. That's a lot. Twice as much for a nickel, too. Pepsi Cola is the drink for you. Fun. It's a fun little nursery rhyme. A lot of people seem to take this as a personal attack. Like, you're calling me cheap. You know, folks were buying Pepsi. But they were buying. I only drink luxury cola. (laughs) They were buying it to hide at home because they were worried about looking like they were skin flints. And they said, like, in this era, people would, you would drink Pepsi if it was just you and the kids at the house. But if guests came over, you would serve them Coca Cola. And there was even a thing where people would, like, pour Pepsi into the glasses they gave people, but they would bring out the Coca-Cola bottle in the living room. So it's like Pepsi-Cola fraud. It was nuts. So true story here. When my family first moved from Detroit to Atlanta, my mom went to, they were having a house party. My mom went to the store and there's a deal on Pepsi. And she, so she bought a couple, two liters of Pepsi, didn't think anything about it. And she said like people were like seriously offended. And I think this might be much more of like, you're in Atlanta, but there is still like that whole, you know, perception about Pepsi and Coke where it's like, uh, yeah, you don't serve it in certain parts parts of this country. Right, right. It's, this is not the pop for you. It is jarring when you go to a fast food restaurant or like even like a whatever sit down restaurant, you order a Coke and they're like, we only have Pepsi products. And I'm just like, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there there is a sort of like inherent sort of aggression that comes with that in the, in this part of the country. It's true. Yeah. I, I usually will just take that as a sign from the uh, sign from the universe that today is a, a water drinking day. Back when I was drinking more soda, but also uh, AMC theaters. I just learned this. They got uh, they got taken over by Pepsi or they got gentrified by Pepsi. I went to watch uh, Oppenheimer with some friends of ours and I ordered a Coke and the kid at the counter said, we only have Pepsi. And you know what I did though? Ugh. I got a bottled water. Yeah, smart. What is that, Dasani? <laughs> they, oh gosh, Dasani's a Coke product. Okay, what's the Pepsi equivalent of Dasani? I can't remember, but I bet you they've got one. They have to. They have to? Yeah. 
So while you're while you're looking, I'm googling. Yeah, Pepsi while you're water. looking it up, I'm sure we'll recognize Aquafina. Aquafina. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. It was an Aquafina. It had to be. So back in the day. Because people were worried about looking like cheapskates, they didn't want to be associated too strongly with drinking Pepsi. Pe- Pepsi they knew do about some damage them. control. Yeah. yeah, that's not good. Okay, we've got to reverse this marketing uh, train wreck because clearly we have made a horrible mistake, and we need to revamp our image. Right. It, it's, so maybe yeah. we go ham in the other direction. <laughs> that's what they did. They did exactly that. They wanted a better catchphrase. So from 1953 to the early 1961, uh, they had a different campaign, and the campaign's name was Be Sociable, which feels like communist propaganda. Wear your monocle. <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> Pinky up when sipping this champagne of, of cola <laughs> for, for, from your tiny crystal goblets. Yes. Yeah. I mean, seriously, you know, they, I, they totally, you know, jumped the shark in the other direction. Like, first, you know, the, the, the past Pepsi is just for the poor. And now this one is just for the, like, the upper crust and that doesn't sit well either you guys are trying to reach a general audience who keeps screwing this up it's very interesting yeah it was like uh it it was like they had some kind of weird twilight zone-esque computer that was saying "Ah, if the poor don't work we will go for the rich but uh, we need a Don Draper on the case, man. He would have come up with a way better catchphrase. Mm-hmm. And the the thing is, if you look at these ads, you'll see pet people drinking Pepsi in public group settings, no longer hiding the shame of drinking Pepsi Cola. But these folks who are depicted, they're all a little bit too cookie cutter, a little bit too Norman Rockwell. And this is right around the time America gets super into rock and roll. People want to be edgy and rebel. Now, isn't that funny? Because wasn't I mean early Coke advertising was exactly that? Yes. Was Norman Rockwell kind of stuff. But they but they got the timing right. They got the timing right. Pepsi was a day late and a dollar short, <laughs> and they like totally were behind the times. And then you know the the tide had turned. And and Coke, I think I think a big again. I think Coke's the better drink, but. Much better marketing. They, oh, yeah. they were always right finger on the pulse. They invented freaking polar bears and Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't check me on the first one. Uh, they also had the uh, uh, they had their own share of missteps, but they had a lot more successes. Their ratio was good. Pepsi missed the youth market, the most powerful market in soda, because they were they were increasingly looking like. The the uh, avatar of the suffocating traditional society and social roles that hated rock and roll. You know, Pepsi was now the one saying, "No sock hops for you," <laughs> and, uh, and so they they realized this when they did some studies and found that as a soda brand, they were now associated with struggling married couples who were painfully budget conscious. So they're not the fun drink anymore. They're the had kids too early drink. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And they came up with another banger of a slogan. Uh, Absolutely mind-boggling. Now it's Pepsi for those who think young. That is so convoluted. It it, it, it basically has no meaning. It's like Monty Burns. It's a Monty Burns idea. Now it's Pepsi for those who think young. <laughs> Why the now it's? Like that part is 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 a little bit perplexing. And the idea of thinking young is is inherently 
a put on, right? Yeah. It's like you're 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 already uh casting your your uh, audience as a bunch of phonies who are actually old but just doing their best to think young or somehow cognitively impaired. It, it, this one only lasts from 1961 to 1963. Like you say, it's a swing and a miss, but they had a lot riding on this, so they went back to the drawing board and they returned with Come Alive. You're in the Pepsi generation. This was a success. Actual banger. Actual, Actual success. Banger. Yeah. Really yeah. good. Right? I mean, if, if we're just spitballing slogans, wouldn't this be the first one where you'd be like, that's good. Yeah. That's like, Pepsi I, banger. I, I, slogans for a drink, I think it's so weird. And um, what's the word? It's almost propagandistic. It it's is. like you're, it, it, it is for sure. But like, what makes a good one? It's all bullshit. Like, there's nothing about any drink that will make any of this stuff true. You know what I mean? So it's just like, which one is the thing that like makes you feel a spark of hope and and uh, excitement around this sugar water carbonated beverage? That is you know? bad for you. <laughs> really, uh, act actively bad for you. Yeah, the, there's a there is a brilliance to it because it's incredibly inclusive. You're if you want to be in the Pepsi generation. generation, yeah, you're part of a movement now. Uh, Star Trek, you know. Sorry, it just sounds the word generation just sounds inherently futuristic to me because of Star Trek. I don't know why. That's just it sounds inherently massive to me. And so both younger people who want to think of themselves as hip and popular, and older people who want to think of themselves as youthful and hip, they like this. Pepsi becomes associated with that youth, popularity, success, acceptance, Pepsi. They even had a ditty uh, that they put in here, which uh, uh, maybe we might play a clip if we we find it, but... What's it to the tune of? Is it its own tune? It's like, I'm trying to like impose a melody onto this. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm too sad. I'm, if you guys can't tell, I'm on the back end of being a little bit ill, uh, so my voice is a little bit shot, so I'm not going to attempt to sing because it would be sad. But uh, let's, let's just do like a rap, like an 80s rap. There's a whole new way of living. Pepsi helps supply the drive. It's got a lot to give to those who like to live because Pepsi helps them come alive. It's the Pepsi generation coming at you, going strong. I like that interpretation, Noel. And like the, the best I could do. The market come alive, though. Yeah. What a, what an invitation, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. In English, uh, the Pepsi. Oh boy, <laughs> there we go. This is the turn. Pepsi's market share expands. It explodes past the demographics, the geopolitical good borders. News. Good news. Good news. It, the growth of the Pepsi empire seems unstoppable until the new ad campaigns reach China, where sales plummet. Uh, we're going to have, we're going to explore a couple different versions of the story, but no, the big takeaway, uh, <laughs> the big takeaway is that because Pepsi helps him come alive, doesn't quite translate the same way in the Chinese language. Well, first of all, I think we've talked about this on stuff they don't want you to know. Um, China is obviously known uh, for many things, but one is uh, censorship um, in uh, for, of American culture. So if you have like films that play in China, there are versions that, you know, for the Chinese market that remove things for cultural sensitivity purposes. And one of them is, I, I believe up until pretty recently, they, they weren't allowed to have ghosts. Yes. Like ghosts mm-hmm. is a thing where they, yeah. they like, they get, no, that's a no go. Ghostbusters, I think, did not, you know, play in China and stuff like that because of the cultural uh, phenomenon of the, the ancestor worship 
I think that's accurate. Praying to your ancestors, revering, you know, the the dead and like treating them as though they were still, you know, have a place at your table, all the shrines and all of that kind of stuff. It's a big deal. So when you have a mass market media blitz promising to to raise the the dead, you know, that's just absolutely insulting. Mm -hmm. How dare you? Right. It's yeah. The censorship is real with this. uh, And the idea that like, okay, the the way Pepsi pictures this is come alive, meaning to feel energized or peppy with Pepsi. You're welcome, folks. You can have that one. Uh, and, but that's it, the thing, though, dude. Even uh, to, to me, I read "Come Alive," and that's it, it, it. Can it's very broad and vague, and and it's like maybe it's a phrase that has fallen out of fashion. But I don't even think about it like that. So for it to you know have to translate this again, the feeling of what does that mean? It's not something that there maybe is an analog to in that language. Sure. Yeah, like a lot of idioms as well. So the message translates to something along the lines of Pepsi brings your dead ancestors back to life. And this anecdote is often quoted in marketing schools and speeches and various things as a textbook case of when advertising and translation go wrong. But there are a couple of issues with the story. First, a lot of versions claim the entire slogan was come alive with Pepsi. But the real slogan is, as we said, come alive. You're in the Pepsi generation. And that might seem like splitting hairs or soda bubbles. But in translation, small differences do yield big results and big consequences. So there's another little wrinkle in the story. Uh, Most versions don't uh, specify which language got hit by the mistranslation. Um, Ben, I know you're a a student of of Chinese, and uh, there are different dialects, of course. There's Mandarin, Cantonese, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, there are... It's a huge country. Uh, Mandarin's the official language. Cantonese is very common. And there are any other number of dialects and and separate languages for different ethnic groups. How similar are they? Which ones? Any like like let's just say Mandarin and Cantonese. But like, like like are we talking like completely different or like is it sort of like maybe Dutch is to German? I see. Yeah. So um they use the same character sets, like the same ideograms and stuff. So wherever you go, you can read the same sentence, uh, but the pronunciations can become mutually unintelligible. Mandarin has four tones, but Cantonese has six. Uh, so it's much more difficult, at least wow. for people to, uh, like, honestly, for people our age who have never tried to learn Cantonese, it would be almost impossible. Uh, so it's it's tough and it does make a difference to figure out which language this got mistranslated into. Other versions of the story sometimes say the mistranslation didn't occur in China at all, that it was in Thailand or Germany. But in any way... How do we not have better records of this, though? You'd think that, like, historians of uh, marketing would have, you know, got the clippings. You know what I mean? That there would be uh, artifacts out there that could prove this from, from different campaigns. I'm going to say it's because Pepsi's not super proud of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we know. I mean, I guess this, this is also probably pre-internet, so they probably were able to, you know, do the best they could to pull any examples of that stuff from from the public record. But in any case, uh, you will hear the mistranslation phrase in one of a handful of different ways, including come alive and out of the grave with Pepsi. 
works for Halloween, maybe, but not not the rest of the year. Uh, and again, with the cultural stuff, this is wild. But uh, it's so interesting too because the cultural argument really is is most profound, I think, with China because of that you know very important spiritual connection to ancestors. Uh, another one was Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead, right. uh, and then bring dead ancestors back from heaven. Mm-hmm. That sounds wow. That's a that's a Okay, I'm that's aspirational. That, I'll give it that. Yeah, I mean, it's how- and are we talking? Are they zombies now, or are they like just back like they were? Is this a pet cemetery situation. What like, happens what? when you run out of Pepsi? Right? They don't. Even, do, do they turn? Uh, so with all these, and do they do they do they crave Pepsi? Right. You know, when right. They, they've risen in the night for the Pepsi Cola. It, with all the caveats we're giving you, it might sound like we're giving we're spinning a tall tale, ridiculous historians, uh, maybe a bit of bait and switch. However, we have to have those caveats because this is still probably, I'm going to say probably true to some degree. Pepsi has never once come out and denied that this occurred. They have never made an official statement of any kind about this, despite it being one of the most legendary stories in all of Western marketing lore. And it makes you think, you know, uh, we're left with two conclusions. Maybe Pepsi did have a sort of stumble since it was pretty widely reported by multiple otherwise solid sources. Or maybe Pepsi really brought people back from the dead and it got covered up. You know, it's one of those two. There is no in between. I mean, look, I might rethink my position on Pepsi if it in fact did bring back, you know, loved ones from the dead. Yeah, I don't know. But again, I need to know the rules. Yeah. Is it a monkey's paw type situation? Right. You know, I just, there's a lot of questions. Is it, a lot of questions. Is it a temporary thing? Is it long lasting? Is there a way to send people back again? I, I don't know. We've got a lot of questions. We're looking for the answers as, as we speak. Uh, currently, on a side note, maybe this is where we end today. Currently, on a side note, Pepsi's name in Chinese characters translates to 100 Ways to Good Luck, and Coke's name, Coca-Cola's name, translates to, quote, to allow the mouth to be able to rejoice. I feel like oh, that's wow. terrible. That is weird. There, there's a brand of some kind, it's candy or something, I'm picturing. You know what it is? It's Twizzlers. Do you remember what Twizzlers' slogan was, you guys? Oh, what was in the it? the 90s? What was it? Makes mouths happy. Oh, that's right. Ugh, yeah. Makes mouths happy. I'm not a Twizzler guy. And they don't say mouths. When they do it, they speak it out loud and they say makes mouths happy. And in the in the commercials in the 90s, like Pee-wee's Playhouse style kind of weird claymation of giant lips and yeah, like yeah, yeah, weird yeah. red mm-hmm. vine pulsating mm-hmm. Twizzlers going in and out of the mouths. It's a very... Very macabre, like those MTV bumpers from those days, you know, and really weird stuff. There was, there's an entire history we could do of weird advertising slogans that aren't even mistranslations. The ones that have aged so poorly that if you look at them now, you would assume they were mistranslations. Uh, but this also perhaps is a continuing series because there are many other other strange mistranslations, some of which almost led to nuclear war, uh, like uh, we will bury you, slapping the shoe on the counter for any fan right. history. And then some that are some that are more comical, of course, like you can some Chinese shopkeepers uh, 
the way they wrote Coca-Cola translates into bite the wax tadpole. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you heard that one. That, for me, that, the wet sprocket. Yeah, yeah. That's that's specific enough for me that if I if I was in a different country, I saw a drink that was advertising itself as bite the wax tadpole, I'd buy one. I would buy Absolutely. one if it was under like $2. I would definitely try. No question. It, it also sounds like a, a really kind of fun uh, expression for like dying, you know, you, you bite the wax tadpole. Straight out of a Jimmy Carter speech. There we go. Uh, yeah, tune in. Maybe we'll have an upcoming episode on further mistranslations. Oh, and a well-meaning astronomer who accidentally started all the Mars conspiracies, etc., etc. Honorable mention to uh, various unfortunate names of automobiles with this. Thank you very much to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thank you, of course, to Jimmy Carter. Uh, and, and in defense of the translator we mentioned, Seymour, he, again, he's not incompetent, like we said. It's just not everybody always has a great day. No, no, it's true. Uh, huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Christopher Osiotis and Eves Jeff Coates here in spirit. AJ Jacobs, the, the puzzler. Uh, Jonathan Strickland, the quizster. And you, Ben, my, my linguistic ride or die. And also with you. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.